Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, August 8th. This is episode 147. I'm Tony. I'm Dennis. Oh, we have quite a bit to cover. Nothing has happened. There has been there's, nothing that's happened, but there are still things that we must discuss. There's nothing to talk about. No. We're going to spend the whole thing talking about skateboarding. Yes, which I don't do. But what I do do is ask you about what happened since the last episode. So what's been happening? Well, I have actually returned. Is it returned? Your to, Final Fantasy fourteen? Well, no. I'm, I, I, well, yeah. I'm to still Babbage's, playing. where you bought it. No, I'm still playing Babbage's. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a throwback. Mm. No, I'm, I, I, I've actually started listening to podcasts again. <gasps> oh. Um, just because I picked up a new one. It's the Fits All podcast, which is a podcast from a couple uh, – uh, that's done by three YouTube makers slash tool restoration guys that I watch. And I'm like, well, heck, I'm already watching all their videos. I might as well listen to their podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes sense. And um, I went last night to a poker night and I didn't win, but I didn't lose much money either. Uh, the last time I played poker with this group, I doubled my money. And this time I went home and I'd only lost three dollars. So I'm gonna. I'm still. I'm still net up playing poker. So, mm-hmm. but they still want to take you down because you are like the villain. You're the John Malkovich of the story. No, I'm not. I'm the. I'm the unassuming guy in the corner that just kind of breaks even and and nobody notices. No, they remember and, the doubling. That's what they refer. I didn't to even as, win the, the time doubling. I doubled my money. Oh, I wasn't even the number one finisher the time I doubled my money. <laughs> we just called it because it was down to two of us out of the original, like, nine. Mm. <laughs> well, you got some Casino Royale-sized groups there, nine. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun, though. Um, I always enjoy the chance to get together with friends and not lose very much money. Yes. It, it, was, it was cheaper than playing pinball. Was it? $3 is cheaper than playing pinball. Well, you could maybe play three games of pinball. Or for $3, you might get four plays. <laughs> I think it's kind of the rule. So what have you been up to? Well, as you sort of referenced, uh, I went. There was pinball. We have the tournament schedule is pretty much resumed at this point, And IFPA is now sanctioning again. Yeah. So I have emerged from my slumber after over a year. And did my first pinball tournament. You stretched your wings. I stretched my I stretched my and reached out your sharpened. And I and I assumed I would talons. I would go and, and do a two and out because it had been so long. And while I have played some of my own games over this whole time period, you know, I don't know a lot of the new ones and and a lot of the stuff at the four hundred three club is newer games. Mm-hmm. So uh, but I did okay. I, I won two I, and, of course, lost two uh, because it's a it's a two-and-out scenario. So, though, I was sent to losers by uh, Dylan, who ended up taking third, and I was sent home by Mark, who took second. So, I I, I, I lost to some of our – and Tony – the <laughs> listeners don't know the names. Tony knows the names. Yeah. And they're, they're some of the top players. So – so anyway, um, yeah, that was fun. And I had to buy the first round as well. So I think I ended up, we had 25 players. And I think I ended up tied at ninth. So yeah, you know, kind of yeah. where, where I belong, where I feel I belong. Right, right in the, 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 the 
higher middle part of the pack. Right, right. Basically, a little above average, so that I I like the new people to be a little scared. Right. And then, but all the other, like all the A-tier players are just like, oh yeah, it's Dennis. Okay, well, we'll probably get free points. Let's just hope he doesn't send us to Walking Dead because he owns that one, which I kept doing. We kept drawing Walking Dead. I kept losing as well. Uh, No, I, I, I lost two and I won one, so... That's well, I mean, how that's, it works out. That, that's how it works sometimes. I mean, but, at least you didn't pull the thing that happens to me sometimes where I lose, and then the guy I lost to loses, and then the guy he lost to loses, and then the guy he lost to loses. Mm-hmm. So you end up just being the biggest loser. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so while I was there, because I have not played, that is the first I have played Location Pinball since March of 2020. So, and I have not bought any new games. Since the pandemic started. So given that I've had this whole huge bunch of games that I haven't had a chance to experience. And there were four of them at 403 Club. Uh, I did not get an opportunity to play Hot Wheels or I'm trying to remember what the what the other new game was. That, Mando? Uh, yes. Thank you. Mandalorian. So because people were on them. The whole time before the tournament started. And then I never drew them for the tournament. But I was able to play Led Zeppelin. I was able to play Guns N' Roses. And I was able to play Avengers. So my quick takeaways. uh, The game I had the least amount of time on was Avengers. I think I only got two games in on it. Uh, It shot really fun. I don't get the rules. I need to to look. I need to brush up on it. uh, Because I'm told there's a lot of good combination possibilities with the Infinity Stones and the characters that you get to to play the modes on and so i didn't know what i was doing but i was following the shoot the shots and you know the flashy lights and stuff and a little magnet ball lock to go up the avengers tower whatever it's supposed to be that's kind of cool it's kind of cool looking so uh overall i liked i liked that one with what little time i had on it uh led zeppelin which i maybe i think i had three games on uh i did not care for uh it shoots like an inferior star trek is the best way. And this is a pro. So when you shoot the, use the upper flipper shot, it doesn't, it, it hits a stand up and it comes out of there. And I just, it's okay. When you look at it, it's so barren. So, I mean, Star Trek doesn't feel barren like that, but this just felt so barren to yeah. me. Shot pretty well. Uh, rules seemed okay, but I just, there's like, there's no love in that form. If I could, were to steal a line from Kroll, it just feels like uh, a, a rebake of a few other things. And so, yeah, if you want flow, it will give it to you. But other, there are so many better flow games. I you just, think it would have been better in the pro version or not the pro, but the premium. I, I think version? the upper shot would feel better, but I, I wasn't spending a lot of my time trying to access that shot anyway, mostly on the lower two flippers shooting ramps. And as usual, they're fairly accessible ramps, you know, Steve Ritchie flow style. It's just, there's nothing about it other than the cool music that, really resonated with me yeah it's okay it's okay but i would like it'd be a game i would never buy and then i got i i think i was able to play guns and roses four times i drew it twice in tournament and i played it twice before so yeah uh oh my gosh uh hated it hated it oh my oh no 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 i just i'm other than again i like the, the sound system and the music the lights were cool other than that, and but, actually, the first time I played it was so brutal uh, for me. I didn't even get a multi ball. That's how, and I didn't. I thought that game made sure you had multi balls. 
uh, the rest of the time I got to experience all the multi-ballness that is multi-ball. I'd, I'd say the two things that stand out, stood out to me that I didn't care for is the shots still, there's just like a nothing, like you hit an orbit, it comes around. You hit the ramps, they, they go, they, they feed back. It, it's just, but it doesn't feel like a flow game either. And so I just, the shots just weren't fun for me. Um, there's a, center, a lot of center scoop that you might inadvertently go into a lot. That was probably a lot of it was just, I'm getting this scoop over and over and I don't mean to, I'm trying to find my shots. Uh, and then when you're in a song, you have the multi balls going and you're trying to build up the song jackpot and it's risk reward, but on the, like a marathon risk reward. It's to me, it's really odd. Like, I like risk reward. That's what I like about walking dead. This is a very risk reward game. Yeah. It's also a very short game with this. Like I was on one of the tournament games. I was losing to Dylan. He was up uh, over like 1.1 million ahead of me. And I started a song. And so I just kept shooting ramps and I'd go into the scoop when I was down to one ball and be like, do you want to add a ball or do you want to cash out your jackpot? What's my jackpot? 200,000. We're going to add a ball because I got to play the risk to ca- I'm on ball three. I got to catch up to Dylan. I didn't, but yeah, it's just try. like, it's just like, who does risk reward for? F- I've been playing for like four minutes on that one ball. Because Dylan came up after and he's like, I thought you were going to have a lot higher score than this, Dennis, because you were <laughs> playing forever. I was like, well, I kept, I, kept, uh, let, I kept letting it ride. Let it ride. And as near as I can tell, that's the strategy on that game. So while there's some stuff with the shots that I didn't, I didn't love, I didn't hate the shots either. It's the rules I don't like. It's the rules I don't like. And they have it set up. You, can, you could make every shot in that game. The flippers still feel bad. Like spongy would be how i describe it but how they have it set up at 403 is right like i i not have a problem making any ramps i just don't like how it feels right it just doesn't feel i think when you try it tony i think you will despise it that's my take based off of your other reaction to games i actually liked more than you did from them uh i've just no it's just it's no dialed in it's and it's no wonka wow and uh, you know, I would I would agree with with Steve H, who I was speaking with there, that those are probably Jersey Jack's best games, and I think the difference is the rules on those games is probably part of it. Yeah, I just kept exploiting the left ramp when I in my second tournament game, which I won by a lot, and I just once I figured out, okay, here are my safe shots. I'll start a song and I'll just do the shape because it seems like everything's lit, so let's just do it. And then get it when I have enough balls in play. I'll do the riskier shots, but nothing felt particularly risky. Uh, though full credit, the that uh, center scoop was not a center drain. I don't think I ever had a center drain out of that scoop, so it was well positioned. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, but I just I didn't care for the game. I don't know why they're going for so much. Here comes the hate mail. Well, it's already on maybe. the way. Maybe we haven't even published, and it's already on the way. I mean, visually, it's You've all got it's all right. Uh, you know, it looks better on camera. The really? lights and stuff. I found that true with the light doing with watches doing like loom photos and stuff. Like the loom looks way brighter with the camera set. Same with the lights, which is good because if they were brighter, I'd probably have been blinded. Yeah. I wasn't blinded by the by the game. Another uh, thing I will say that in the favor of GNR, some of the other JJP games I've been really frustrated because they have a tendency to just make everything go dark and I'd lose track of the ball. Didn't have that problem on GNR. So yeah, I hate was, it when the, when, when they do the whole ha ha ha. It's a dark table. Have good luck. And then it broke. And then it broke. Actually, when I was playing my my game, the game I won, there was a p- point I think on ball two where 
the player two was stepping up and it seemed like he was getting points in the shooter lane, but I wasn't right over him. I couldn't, it was small amount, really small amount. Million, uh, million, yeah, million, right. million. Well, I'm, million. you know, low scoring JJP games, but it's like 20, 40. And I thought, is this supposed to happen? Like, is it giving him stuff from based off of what I did? You know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know the rules of these things. And, uh, but I didn't say anything because I, I was winning anyway and I didn't want to redo it again. <laughs> I didn't want to redo anything if I, if I was indeed to be concerned. Apparently the next people that went and played the game, it was giving huge points. Some switches must have got stuck or something because they <laughs> already turned it off. They're just like, and it was out of the tournament after that point. So. Like, oh, I'm just sitting here. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and play. I haven't even started ball so, one and I've already got a million points. So I did that. Oh, I got more, I got more stuff, but, but these are thematically tied to our, to our topic. So I feel okay. Uh, so video games, I've made a little bit more progress in Gears 5. Okay. I basically have played it, uh, twice since our last step, like Sunday of last week and yesterday. So I've made a little more progress. Uh, Overwatch has been having a summer event. And so I went ahead and I've, I've been playing that. And I actually went ahead to, and did some competitive by myself just to earn me some gold gun points. Cause I thought, oh, I'll go ahead and do that. And on the console side, they've introduced uh, the text chat mode. They introduced that a few months ago. Mm -hmm. it, ha it hadn't been something that consoles had. I don't know if that's good or bad. Because people will send like helpful tips sometimes or ask them something. Like someone might say, hey, would you be willing to play blank or something? And it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, now, I did have someone who called me who said my mercy play was, and they spelled it this way, A dollar sign dollar sign. And they wanted me to be Moira. And I thought, that's kind of toxic. Um, I went ahead and switched to Moira because I'm like, okay, if you feel like it. I got upvoted at the end for because I had one of the top four cards as my mercy. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. It was a diva player who kept turning around a corner, overextending, then dying and wanted to be healed. And I suppose thought my Moira orb might work better than the fact that I wouldn't pocket him. But, you know, we got to have some limits. I can't be pocketing it. I can't be pocketing divas that overextend. I don't pocket divas at all if I've got a real main tank with me. Yeah. And we had an Orissa. This wasn't a dive comp. So anyway, so there is that. Um, and I had a few other weird, uh, funny text, like, uh, chat, text chat things. I'm just not used to it because someone, the other team just got smoked. And <laughs> the person afterwards goes, our Ryan is seven. <laughs> and I laughed and I thought, are they being insulting? Like our Reinhardt is a place like a seven year old, or was it their Brian very well literally could have been seven? And so they're like, our Ryan was seven. What do you, what can you do? What can you do when you're Ryan seven? You can die. Well, <laughs> you now that do. you've got text chat, you yeah, get, you get chat. to see the when you win, when you're when whatever winning side it is, players on the winning team dropping the GG easy because that's what GG. Oh yeah, well, we saw the GG easy. <laughs> so I've seen the losing team say that too. Though it was weird. It's like GG easy. Um, and I and I don't know. Uh, I had one. I used it at one point where someone on our team had asked. I'm assuming they meant our Arissa on offense on Volskaya. If they would consider, and said it politely too, if they would consider switching to Ryan, because we're trying to push in and the Arissa shield was getting melted. I was playing Hog. I was the other tank. Yeah. And I went ahead and switched to Ryan and we took the point. So on the way out afterwards, I said, I'm going to stay as Ryan unless you really want Hog. And no one said anything. So I assume they were happy and we full held. So. And then there was another one later where someone did not, they threw the old, good old fashioned way of sending harassing Xbox messages. I had played Symmetra and we full held them and they called me a boot, which I had to look up, which means noob in military speak. And then they had, it had first blocked a message 
uh, Xbox said, we think this message may be harassment and it blocked it. So I said, show it to me. <laughs> and they were, and they were, they were mad about Isometra. And I'm like, I don't blame, I don't blame them. When a bronze runs up against something like that, I don't know what they were. I'm going to guess they were bronze and they don't know how to get past it. I, yeah, I, I pity them. I do. It was, it was, it was a cheese move of me to use <laughs> against them. Uh, but I don't regret it because that's what they do in Overwatch League too. Yeah. Uh, so I've been playing that. And then, uh, in terms of my other hobby, just real quick, the, uh, I have now disassembled four watches and have not yet successfully got any of them working. I'm working, been working on two, got the, uh, I was telling Tony, I got the replacement movements with the new escape wheels. It was a bad escape wheel on both. Both of the new escape wheels are broken. One, I think, from the mechanics of the watch, sort of shredded it apart when I was trying to remove it. The other one, because apparently one of the prior breaks was occupying the hole it rests in. So when I tried to snap it in, it went couldn't go in all the way, popped the post right off of it. And these are real thin. So eBay is my new friend. And people are, I'm learning everything in vintage watches is 20 bucks, like 20 to 30. This is like movements, parts, whatever. This all ends up that amount. So... So still working on that. And then I had actually purchased a new watch, which Tony knows about, and it arrived. The hour hand does not align properly in comparison to the minute hand. That actually got shipped back yesterday. Oh, it did finally going, get shipped back? They, they recall, apparently they've had enough of them. They recalled their watchmakers from Holiday in Switzerland. And they they gave me a, a label and told me how to package it. And it's it's, yeah, it's off to Switzerland for repair. They won't give me it. They won't give me an estimate though on when it will be back because they don't know exactly what's caused the problem yet. But clearly, it's widespread. Yeah. So I uh, I shot some footage and gave them links. I said, "Hey, oh if, yeah, if it's super obvious." Yeah, I have, and I have. So uh, I mean, I put out a YouTube video of it, but I have standalone, like no commentary versions of that footage, and I sent that off to them and said, "Hey, if it helps your watchmakers diagnose, here's a time lapse showing the hour hand stopping and starting again, and here's a." video of me trying to set the time. So if that helps with the diet, I'm thinking the time lapse might be because most of the people are noticing it when they're trying to set the watch or doing like the GMT hand. Movement. Right. And so anyway, it's odd, but as expensive as the watch is, uh, a lot of people are really frustrated. Most of the uh, upset is not actually the people who bought the watch. Cause there are only 200 of these watches. The model that this watch is, there's a different design. That was actually on sale before this watch that's coming out later this year and early next year. And there's over a thousand of those. Those are the people that are scared. Because they're afraid that since it's got the same. Yep. That it's not going to work right. And so because they've seen this batch of two. Because this was a collaboration watch with another company. And the collaboration aspects, though, were really only about the design. The movement's the same. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're worried. And I don't blame them. Anyway, it's just been interesting. I blame them. I, I don't blame the people being upset. And and for me, uh the both both companies in the collaboration have been great with their communication. Very polite, uh, very supportive, you know, right on top of answering any questions I have. One of them, one of the company's founder on social media initially had a post that didn't go over very well. So some people have been upset about that. But my my engagement with them has been great. So other than you know, obviously it's annoying having a defect on something you bought that you paid for months ago and it arrives and then you have to send it back away. But unlike pinball, they will actually fix it. Yeah. They don't give you the, well, that was the brakes. Have fun them, with them. Them's the brakes. Or, oh, 
oh yeah, you bought something and it's still under warranty. Well, why don't you buy yourself a new part for $500 and then you swap it yourself if you want. Yeah. No. 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 No, no, we understand. We, we'll send you an unpopulated play field. Oh my God. That's the... Please completely take your game apart and rebuild it from scratch and then just, send us the I, old play field. I'm just... This is all I'm saying, Tony. This is all I'm saying. If you're... If you're going to take a hobby that you could say historically was occupied by operators and people that knew how to repair and deliberately target homeowners now and then still start sending blanks out and asking people to move mechs, you have got to be drinking something laced with something strong and potent. That's because it doesn't make any sense. It's not how any, not how any other industry works. Doesn't, does just, and I get it. It's tough because pinball's hard. With returning things because of how heavy and bulky everything is. Oh well, that's the industry you chose. Oh well, you should have sent it out. Figure with a it out. Pod. Figure it out, or pay for people to come out and do the swaps. You know, tax. I don't know. Solve it. Shouldn't be my job to solve it. So that's part of the reason I don't buy. I mean, when I get warranty work on my on, on a car, I don't have to go in and. Take it apart and rebuild the car. Sure. Oh, man, we're sorry that block cracked. Here's a new block. Swap that out yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Oh, oh no. Yeah. yeah they, they, well, you know, they, but take out your spark plugs and put, could you imagine someone saying you like a blank engine and telling you to pull, yeah. pull the parts out of the old one and drop them in? I Me, mean, seriously. Oh, you got a bad transmission here. Here's all the gears and stuff. Just pull your old ones out and reassemble it inside. It's kind of like a puzzle. <laughs> yes, it's like a puzzle. That's what the watches are like, puzzles. Well, we're talking pinball, so let's go right let's into it. Let's go right into I know my, the intro was long. That's my fault. But a lot of the intro was video games and pinball. So, so it's, I think it, we're, okay. we're We're still on topic. Send complaints to... Well, actually, I don't want any complaints. But if you want to, you can send them at gmail.com. So... Starting in the pinball segment, I do want to open that we did re- receive an email from Ian regarding our prior episode where we talked a little bit about the Wi-Fi enabling that was discussed by George Gomez and Tanya Kleiss on the Just Another Pinball podcast. So Ian reports the following. Hey, love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Just thought I would let you know that even currently shipping, quote, Wi-Fi enabled, in quote, pinball machines use a USB dongle for the Wi-Fi. I have to unplug it when I want to update software via USB on my JJP GNR. So thank you, Ian. Sorry, Ian, if I bothered you with my take on GNR earlier. And uh, that's good information. Okay, so so at so least they, with they, JJP, they're they're, they're using the dongle. Based. They're, they're all using about a dongle. the dongle. JJP just lets their dongles hang, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I've wondered if with Stern, if that's what like I don't know that like Deadpool and you know other older games but still Spike 2 games come with a dongle. I've assumed, though, that people will be able to buy a dongle to get their Wi-Fi enabled. That's what I've been thinking would happen. That would make the most sense. Because... Because that'd be just be a software patch sure. to the to the game, and then when you put the dongle in, it should mm-hmm. work. I mean, there is a, there are USB slots on it, because that's currently how you update software. So right. I'd assume just a USB dongle. That being said, the node-based system that Stern has would allow them to also sell a node board that would just connect in with like a cat cable. Right. As long as there's an easy way to mount. Again, I'm assuming that we're just going to use a dongle because Stern, by and large, by and large, doesn't ask people to go and like build their machine. Right. Well, and here's the thing is I'm sure that the dongle will be cheaper and easier 
than a node board. So oh, definitely, definitely, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, moving on to something that's not so easy for some people to accept is that Steve Ritchie has left Stern Pinball and he's joined Jersey Jack Pinball. So curious, isn't it? It is. It's very curious. Uh, first, I do want to thank John M, who did email us at eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail dot com uh, about this uh, when it was still just a rumor and hadn't been formally announced. Uh, I do have a link in the show notes to Jersey Jack Pinball's Facebook announcement, where it's Steve standing out in front of the JJP sign with uh, Jack Winery and uh, Pat Lawler, who leads the design teams over there. So. Really, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts initially. What, what do you think of this? What do you think of this move for Steve? What do you think of this uh, move in terms of what it does for JJP? And what does it do to Stern? I think that... I'd like to say that I think that this gives JJP a chance to have some better games come out. But the truth of the matter is, I think it gives JJP a chance to maybe actually hit their game release goal. They might add, having another in-house designer might let them actually get far enough ahead on their work to get games out at a slightly faster pace. Um, I think with Stern, I don't think they're going to be too horribly hurt. I mean, there's been talk of Steve retiring for a while and they've got plenty of designers. I don't think it's going to harm their production basis any. Uh, the big question to me will be just how out there the games get with the higher bill of materials and the larger amount of like toys and stuff that we tend to see from a JJP release. I'm curious to see how Steve gets to play in that toy box and what comes out of it. Okay. Well, uh, my thoughts for I l- let me start with the Stern one because I agree with you on that one. I don't think this really has any impact on Stern whatsoever. Mm. They have so many designers. I don't know whether leaving with Steve uh, Steve's idea or Stern's idea or some combination of an idea. Uh, and the reason I say that is there, I know a lot of people who have been fans of Stern uh, of Steve at Stern. Uh, or his historic work. And I lump myself in that group. He has been overall my favorite designer of all time. I have not been particularly impressed with his recent games. And I'm not the only person with that sentiment. And I'm not sure whether or not the recent games have been selling that well for Stern. Some like Star Wars surely must have because it was Star Wars. But my sources indicate Black Knight Sword of Rage was not a good seller. I'm not surprised. I, I, I'm not, I don't know if Led Zeppelin's been a good seller or not. Uh, but, uh, and then there have been just other little elements where people have been, basically, it seems like has sort of ACDC and Star Trek were, you know, and I think those were back to back for him, were like the last two ones that seemed universally popular. And then like Game of Thrones, a little mixed. You know, I know a lot of people really like the pro. I know a lot of people really like Dwight Sullivan's rules on it. Right. And that's often been the case. Like I know plenty of people that like Black Knight sort of rage, uh, rage's rules, but they don't like the layout and, and so on and so forth. So for Stern though, I mean, Brian Eddy's on board now. I wondered if they were getting ready to have Steve leave. Yeah. Because 
uh, you have three cornerstones a year. They have three primary designers right now, John Borg, Brian Eddy, and Keith Elwin, with the ability for George Gomez to step in and do a game design if he needs to. I don't think they need more designers doing out so. three games a year. I don't think it takes that long to do a play field layout, quite frankly. I think they've been giving them plenty of time to do, you know, it's always been the code that's been a, and they've had to add, and they have been, Stern has been adding more and more programmers because more and more people have to be involved in the code now as complex as it's become, you know, like video games. Mm -hmm. So, so that's my, so I agree with you about Stern. They'll be fine. For Steve, um, this could be a good move for him. I think like you, it's the attraction here has to be being able to work with a bigger bill of materials. Cause it seems like JJP has got to be giving them as much more as they sell their games for. And what we see on the games versus what we see from Stern's games, they've got to be working with a bigger bill of materials. So if Steve has been feeling like I like to do flow, but with Stern, I can't have any toys basically, you know, any toys, yeah. air quotes, like you get the vengeance ship with Star Trek, you get the black Knight toy, which is a cool toy, but it's like the only thing on sort of rage. Uh, Led Zeppelin. When I played the pro, that I mean, part of my gripe is it feels, it feels so barren. I, you know, there's a little pop up thing on the more advanced model. That I mean, so it's like there's one thing with all of his stuff, one thing, and so I, I think that could be where where he's coming from. So it could be good for him. The only thing is, Steve's seventy one, and getting to JJP, I don't get this. I don't understand this move at all. If they want to up their production capabilities, they already could with Lawler and Eric Minier as their designer. Like they're not keeping them busy, in my view, making new playfields. Their production schedule is not aggressive enough currently to even fully use both of them because it's over a year between games. So why would we need to bring on a third designer when you can't even put out two games a year to keep your two designers busy? You see where I'm coming Unless from? Unless they're being busy because they're still actively working. Maybe they're just, maybe their work's just that much slower. I just, I don't, I wouldn't understand. I have I, no idea. Uh, I believe JJP has indicated, um, based off of some information about letting people with damaged playfields have the opportunity to buy replacement playfields, which will be at the end of the GNR run. The GNR run is expected to conclude in summer of next year. So their production capabilities are what they are. And I just, I don't, to me, this move does not make any sense. And for them, for JJP, because uh, what are you going to really broaden your market? I mean, Steve's a big name, but why wouldn't you want a new design, like a, a, a fresh designer who could work with you for a really long time? I, honestly, I think, Steve, I'm not, here's where I'm at. It's like, I think, we see Steve's game in 2025 and we see one from him and that's it. That would make sense. And I don't, so again, it could completely because remember this is a, you're talking about JJP who has uh, recently bent to the will of others for a game. It's entire reason for existence. It could be something similar to that. It's just, I just, I struggle with like, I could see if Steve was getting frustrated at Stern, for example, where, most of the designers were having a game of year, a game per year, except him. He seemed to be like on an 18 month cycle. I just can't envision JJP's going to give him an 18 month cycle. I don't think they can. I don't think they can produce fast enough. Right. And they talk about, I mean, I know Jack Winnery has gone on other podcasts and has talked a pretty big game about ramping that up, but 
Again, I'd I'd have been more comfortable seeing that actually happen with Pat, Eric, Pat, Eric, Pat, Eric, you know, every year a Pat and an Eric. And that's a year to come up with a layout and understanding that. Yeah, they may work slower, but I mean, Pat was used to doing a design a year at Williams. So I just I don't think that's the case. And 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 again, like you look at Keith Elwin when I think he was on Loser Kid Pinball Podcast and said, yeah, you know, I've got like three designs already done. Yeah, it's not it's not that hard. I mean. What they do require, I mean, there's a knowledge that needs to go into it. But as we've seen with so many of these designers, they start cribbing from their past work all the time. And I know they talk about, hey, this shot, like I've heard George Gomez say, hey, there's a shot and I need to move it over a a millimeter. I think some people, though, think that like George Gomez is standing in front of a big printout of his play field and stares at one shot for 40 hours for the whole week, the whole 40 hours. And it's like, I got to move it a millimeter. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. And I'd also like to point out um, that, remember, in the premiere years, their designers were turning out play fields on an average of a a full game release, full life cycle of their games, three months. And what was the problem with their games? It was the code. It was the rules. It wasn't the layouts in terms of the chief complaint. Right. Chief complaint was with Gottlieb, you got whatever rules came out at that three months and they never patched anything unless it was like on a fry transistors. They would not, they did not, no more code support after that. So, so I'm not saying that you should put someone on a three month play field layout schedule, but I think 12 is plenty generous. Right. And I, I just don't, I don't see how this, I, for me, it's a cart before the horse thing. They need to be able to show that they could put out two games a year before it made any sense to bring in Steve. To me, this is like a PR thing. Like they want to show that they've got the king of flow now. And that could be all now, unless Steve's going to help them with something else, like solving their play field issues. Like, is he going to help with, I mean, cause the manufacturing is now in Chicago. So right. they could have someone like if Pat's busy with the design, cause he's in charge of the design team too, with Eric and everything that Steve might be helping with some other aspects. I could see that. That would make a little more sense to me. But just as a designer, I just don't see why JJP brings in any third designer unless Pat's getting ready to leave. But then if Pat's getting ready to leave, my assumption will be Eric Minier will take over as as lead right. for them. He seems to have been cultivated for that purpose. And again, what would you, why would you replace Pat with Steve, for example? How long is Steve going to do it? Right. No, I think in that case, you'd need to bring in somebody newer. Bring some fresh blood. So, we're not done with the bloodletting at Stern, Tony. Apparently, information has also been revealed that Lyman Sheets, perhaps the most popular rules developer in the history of pinball, has not only left Stern, he left months ago. The end of last year, according to Pinball News, which I have a link in the show notes to the Pinball News. The article is actually about Steve Ritchie. This is basically a throwaway line about Lyman that's in there. But I've I've heard it from other sources as well that, yes, Lyman is gone. That's shocking. Because he was the one who went for code on the most important of the importance. And so, yeah, that's been the uh, I the last cornerstone that Lyman programmed was Walking Dead in 2014. And since then, as you've noted, he's been put on, on, I guess, what Stern might consider their boutique pins. So like the Kapow titles, 
Um, but also like Elvira, which isn't a Kapow title, but it was a, it's a specialty game. No promo. Right. Basically the no pros, the high dollar games. Yeah. Cause in Lyman, we trust has been a quote for a long time. It's a, uh, it's generally accepted that Lyman's programming in the end results in some very good games. I know in the end, because his early, early code versions are often not that popular, uh, but it always gets there. Right. And uh, he tends to spend a lot of time, like a lot of these games seem to have like a 24 month cycle for him to reach 1.0 code or whatnot. So, um, so yeah, I, to me, yo, I, I can't really say like, I'm not to my knowledge from what I have heard. He is not employed by another pinball manufacturer anymore. He may be doing contract work for pinball manufacturers, but I've also read reports that Lyman was very burned out. Which I can see. So he may he may now be working as a programmer outside of pinball. That's my take. Um, but he's making dating apps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. A few years late to that craze, but okay. And soon, uh, soon it's just going to be sheets replaces Tinder. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's got a this dating app code is great. I love I love the risk reward <laughs> of this relationship. It's <laughs> very exciting. Um, so for Lyman, this could be a good move. If he was burned out, then yeah, I think he he needs to move on. Uh, you know, professionally, no, don't it makes total. You sense. need to do you need to do what's best for you uh, always. So now for Stern, I think it's a bigger blow than losing Steve Ritchie. Yes, definitely. Stern has. Really good designers. I think Stern has really good code team too. It's just Lyman has been seen so he's been on such a. It's been like Lyman with Stern and Kiefer with JJP. They have been the 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 rules develop. I mean, they're programmers, but it's the rules that are the important thing. Right. They've been put on this pedestal of rules. Now that being said, the reaction to Keith Elwin's rules, which he works with a coder, Rick Nagel to implement them, but the rules come from Keith. Those have been very popular rule sets. And so I'm assuming there will be a lot of embrace on that. I've also just actually, when I was at 403 yesterday, talking to competitive players, I heard multiple people really pleased with Raymond Davidson being at Stern. They think that his code rule sets are going to be, because he's coming at it from a high level competitive perspective. And uh, as I noted earlier in the podcast, like Tim Sexton, he did the rules for Black Knight Sword of Rage. The rules are really well liked on Black Knight. Yeah. It's the layout that was the problem. So so I mean they've got three people there who do rules currently that they're all, I mean they're top the thing is that I think especially to tournament people and I think this affects casual players as well. When you have tournament people people are really good at pinball making rules. You you get this a balancing to it that ends up being really, really enjoyable. And then they have Dwight Sullivan at Stern and Dwight's big difference that I hear versus all the other rules developers is he comes at it from a very video game perspective, really big into what Zach Minnie would often call moments. But, uh, but I think with Dwight, it's, it's deeper than, than having those like special light shows and stuff. I know that those sort of things stand out, but Dwight has a, has a gamer's mentality. So that's where like, choose your house and, uh, being able to have all the the foundry weapons in Mandalorian and what those you know those those are like RPG elements or, right. or, or board game or or tabletop game elements that's what Dwight brings in because he comes at it from me to me from a gamer perspective which 
attracts a certain other type of player versus the tournament player. So, but that being said, the tournament players by and large so far that I've heard from like Mando too. So it can all coexist. It's just, I think Stern isn't hurting for coders. It's just Lyman was, I mean, he's like, he's his own currency. Right. So that, that it's a bigger, it's a bigger loss no matter what. Uh, I was already frustrated though, that Lyman wasn't working on the, on the cornerstones. I was, I was annoyed. Let's put it that way. Just because of course, like, if there's been burnout building then. Yeah, well, I mean, it, that could be, it could be that, or it could be this the long term. I mean, Lyman used to, like, I thought he helped develop some of the board set transitions that they did. Maybe he's more into systems architecture than wanting to make game rules. You see my perspective. Right. And, but the, given his personality, he has to put so much into the game rules because he wants them to come out in a way he sees them that it could, I could see where he would burn out from it. If that's not his favorite thing to do, but if he's like, too much of a perfectionist that he needs the rules to be a certain way. So he, he drives him. I mean, he was notorious for working on his own time doing code updates. Right. And I'm assuming that's, I mean, again, it's a, that's not a good work life. balance. No, 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 no. And that's one of the things I, I, years ago I learned, you know, I like things to be right, but I said, I can, I, as a person cannot embrace a perfectionist mindset because I will drive myself mad over the most minute things versus getting more things done efficiently and having a bigger overall positive impact. Right. But it's, it can be hard to, to see that force for the trees sort of. Well, that's it for Stern. I have one more uh, pinball thing, but it's a, it's a bigger, so much pinball news it's a, it's this big, time. It's and and so no, long. and no releases. Well, our last pinball element is deep root pinball. So I think you noted on the last episode our lack of having an update from Correct. You. Well, there was an update that released after we Yay! recorded. So I will read it aloud. I know many have probably read it online already, but if you have not, here you go. We are sorry for the length of time without an update. We have been contacted by a few of you within the last few weeks. The main topics were how many people took the refund offer. Then parenthetically, it notes three. Is the refund offer still available? Parenthetically, notes no. And what the status of the Raza builds are. A legal matter affecting Raza arose around a month ago that we did not expect. We were advised by counsel to not send out any substantive communication while they worked to resolve it amicably. We have taken that advice while patiently waiting for it to be resolved. The back and forth has taken much, much longer than we expected. So we are providing this brief update so you understand what the delay is about. We cannot discuss the parties or what the complaint is about. We cannot provide a timeline. What we can say is we are working hard to resolve slash settle it, and we hope to be resolved very soon. We will be able to give a meaningful update at that time. Until then, Robert J. Mueller, Principal, Deep Root Pimple. So that update came out. Now, you, you have words. People can't see. Tony's already, he does this when he's got words, important words. He extends his hand out to me like he's trying to force grab a boulder. <laughs> Here's the thing. You sent this to me when it first, when it first popped up. Yes. I found this on Pinside. For yeah. Wondering. And you sent it to me and I was just shocked initially. And my very first thought, I don't know how true it is. This is just the first thing that popped into my head is it turns out somewhere in the background, they don't have the rights to the game. I've struggled to figure out what legal matter 
affecting Raza, because that's what he said is affecting is Raza itself, right? That it could be, and that's the only thing I could come up with as well. Now, if my recollection is correct, back in the Zidware days, when there were still attempts to quote unquote save Zidware, right? There was someone, I believe, that came in and I thought was looking at buying the rights to the games to help get them built. Now, I've read online, but I have not confirmed this, that he did get the rights. But surely Deep Root took care of that like years ago when they decided they're going to move ahead with Raza, right? You would think. Right, like that had to be, it was just like, it was just like checking off all the boxes, like resolving uh, the deal with uh, Zombie Yeti on the art. And, you know, they ended up doing some art changes. And all of those little pieces from the Zidware pot right. had to be, you know, drained and sort, you know, and resorted. We had to take, we had to disassemble the stew that J-Pop had made and then move forward. So, I I mean, other than that, what could it, pop? because everything else was under J-Pop, who right. works for Deep Root. So what's the problem? It's yeah, like, I th- th- I can't think of anything else that could be the problem, unless potentially something showed up in one of their other little design things that someone's got a patent on, that they've got to re-do something for some reason. Right, right. Well, uh, okay. I mean, it, it's conceivable, but I mean, ultimately, isn't that... Most of the time, wouldn't that be like, just change the mech? Yes. At this point, just change the mech. It'd to, be. But there's nothing that I look at, because again, they've been patenting and innovating, like the pin bar is theirs and all that, you know, sort of stuff. So looking at the playfield of Raza, everything on there, I don't think is under any patent anymore. It's all old stuff like, like, uh, uh, rotor targets or, or, right. you know, rotating or swinging targets and stuff like that. It's all old stuff that's no longer protected. So I just don't. The other option is that this is the best way to shut people up. Oh, the rather lawyers than lawyers say we can't talk about it. Oh, versus saying, well, we're still waiting for UL certification. Now it's just, uh, nope, legal. Yes. Okay. I mean, I could see it. Sure. I mean, it, it's a, a not great look. And I'm not saying that's what it is. But I think that the two most likely is either that they're just trying for the thing that lets them not talk about it as much as possible, and legal's the best way to do that. Or they don't have the rights to the game. Hmm. Well, the reason why I'm not sure it's just a delay tactic to get people to give them some breathing room on communication updates is what we have learned after this update. So, in addition to this information... I saw a post on Pinside from a user named Blueberry Johnson. I have a link. Great name. Yes, it's a great name. Beautiful name. The avatar is even better. If you go and look at the avatar at some point. But I have a link in the show notes to the Blueberry and uh, specifically to the post of his that says that the Facebook pages for Deep Root Pinball and Deep Root Funds were no longer there. They've been pulled down. You try and go to the links. They don't work. At the time, he indicated that Deep Root Studios page on Facebook was still up. I did go back on the two days ago. So on the 6th, on the morning of the 6th, I went and tested these. And what he says is true. I couldn't go to Deep Root Pinball. I couldn't go to Deep Root Funds. I could go to Deep Root Studios. Then I heard a podcast 
From, I just uh, confirmed that again. Just now. still down. Okay. And we're recording for those that don't know. We are currently recording is just after noon central time on the 8th of August. So 2021 for those that are listening from the future. So then I heard a, I heard an episode of the loser kid pinball podcast. And I have a link to this episode in the show notes for those that want to listen to it. And on that, they noted that Robert's personal Facebook page was also gone. Now, I don't have links on this, but in that same thread with the Blueberry Johnson post, if you go further along later on, I've not gone and confirmed these, but there were reports that the LinkedIn pages were also gone. Also information that the, well, the website is still up. The, there used to be like a call directory of routing when you would dial the number the number when you call Deep Root now is like a robotic automated female voice that basically tells you that you can't route anywhere. It just gives you some basic information. So, okay. Now, so, I mean, you wouldn't need to remove Facebook pages and LinkedIn profiles to reduce the need to put out communication, you would just not post stuff on those when you don't want to do updates. So what are your thoughts of, of what's going on with that information on top of the Raza update that went out to the customers from DeepRoot? Take the money and run. No, but no one can ask for rebates anymore. No, no. I'm saying that's what DeepRoot's doing. Oh. What money? Whatever's left. They're heading for the border. <laughs> oh, oh, as they say in the watch world, a ru- you're saying they're pulling a runner, uh, pulling a runner. Now, I now to be fair, it could be, it could be that they are um, removing their social media, or more likely than not, it's that they no longer have a social media manager. And they shut everything down. Okay. Yeah, I I could see that. I worked for an organization where we didn't have anyone running the Facebook page. And so we, we took it offline for a while. It actually, actually, I still was, I think I ultimately, I was the only owner even after I wasn't there anymore. And eventually they brought in a communications person who wanted to bring it back. So I transferred ownership over so that they could do that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I could see that, but again, when we took it down as an or- when we did it as an organization, we very deliberately said we don't want this up anymore because we're not going to maintain it. That was the decision at the time. It wasn't a we didn't have anyone for the time being to manage it. We would have just left it up in that case and then and brought it back. But the person who was in charge at the time of communications was like, "This is no longer a part of my strategy." I don't think we get a lot out of Facebook, so let's not do it anymore. <laughs> so, sure, there's there's that. But what about like the phone system thing and not being able to like call and get a human being anymore? See, that's not social media. That's no, phone. that's telephone. No, I I think they're cutting staff. I think they're just dumping everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's over, like we've thought it was over forever. But I think it's done, done. Because you know what else? Could be a litigation issue that doesn't allow them to talk about it while they get their things in order. Bankruptcy is a litigation issue. 
Well, that, I mean, they would self-file for bankruptcy. Would be the. I mean, it goes through the courts. It but. goes through the courts, but if they're not to that point yet, if they're getting oh. everything mm-hmm. lined up, okay. Well, I mean, and one of the things I did I did consider as a possibility was the nature of the. Let's assume that there is the Raza litigation, as Robert outlined in his update. What if part of the litigation had to do with statements that were made on social media and rather than try and find posts that might be problematic, they just purged the pages in the hopes that that would get rid of the information? That's possible. But, but they haven't purged their main pages. Right, right, right. I and, mean, Deep again, Pinball's still and, up. And again, that has nothing to do with have they purged the phone their, system. So, have they purged their... Uh, YouTube channel? Didn't they have a couple things on their YouTube channel? I don't know. I don't remember. There were there were some videos I thought that they had hosted, but let's see. Their YouTube channel's still up with all two hundred and eighty seven subscribers. Mm. So and uh forty six second post eight months ago. Well, um so I mean I guess but again, like the social media manager theory, I guess that would so Deep Root Pinball and Deep Root Funds had the same social media manager, but Deep Root Studios had a different social media manager. So well, here's the th- Deep Root Studios hasn't updated since 19. Their website hasn't updated since 19. Mm. The whole Deep Root Studios thing might just be utterly defunct at this. But again, point. if you're purging pages, why would you leave it? Right, and the answer to that question is I don't know. unless they just forgot it existed yeah i mean i don't obviously all we could do is is throw out wild speculations we have no idea internally what's going on i the fact is as you noted this has not looked good for a really long time they have missed so many self-imposed deadlines i think even though there was a lot of criticism about how robert responded you know communicated i should say really with the community by and you know, by and large, I feel Deep Root got quite a bit of a pass because they hadn't taken anyone's money. But since they've taken the money, they've continued to miss self-imposed yes. deadlines. The excuses for these misses have constantly evolved, ranging from UL certification troubles to pandemic supply issue problems to now a legal matter. It's just so it feels very flavor of the month when you do get an update. And none of the updates suggest to me, that progress has ever been made. They say, um, some of the older updates, they would say that progress has been made, but they never document or demonstrate any progress, which they're not obligated to do that. But you have to understand that the confidence levels have to be really, really low. And at this stage, again, based off the pen side discussions, it seems like you basically have a class of people that stayed in on this game that are hoping for the next Big Bang Bar. Super limited, Super rare game that people didn't get, and they're going to cash in big once it's made. And living the and dream. are willing and willing to risk whatever deposit. Or I've even read that one person did a full payment. Um, and I, so I, I mean, I I get it. Like I get, I get. We ever since those Big Bang bars were made by Gene Cunningham, this hobby has had those sort of people that are just rolling the dice, and that's how we got. Zidware. That's how we got Highway. Yeah. That's how we got Skit B. It's how we got Von D. It's all these people that think, oh, get in on this really ultra exclusive thing. 
I'm going to pay like $6,000 and I'm going to make, I'm going to make 10,000 easy sort of stuff. And so that drives poor decision-making when you're, you're affixed to the gamble, I suppose, but Hey, it's the, the difference in this instance versus all the other instances and maybe I'm just becoming cruel and more jaded as I've stayed in this hobby longer, but I don't really sympathize much with those that have money in on this because I think there were plenty of warning signs oh, yeah. with all the constant delays to have been comfortable. It's not not that I would say don't buy a deep root game. It was rather than wait for them to come out. And if that means missing Raza and then buying food truck when food truck is you know built and ready and available, then then do that. But until they release a product, it's just not, everyone should know better at this point. The reason why people will pre-order from spooky is they have a track record of putting out games. And I still don't like that. They do that pre-order model. I, I agree with you, but I, I understand but, at least that, are, but they're established. They're, right. established. they're established. You have a firm chance to actually get mm-hmm. what you pay for. Mm-hmm. It might right. not be what you thought it was when you get it. Sure. And I mean, even though I, while well, I don't do pre-orders and pinball, and, um, again, that the watch with the alignment issue I mentioned in the inch in the intro, that was a pre-order. Yeah. Those companies involved in the collaboration had produced and sold other watches successfully. So I don't do Kickstarters for watches. There are a lot of them and most of them are garbage, but people will do that to hope that maybe they'll get something, you know, on the ground floor of this really exclusive thing that they'll be able to flip for a profit. That's what's, I mean, that's what a lot of it is. So, yeah. Anyway, well, it's a it's a mess. I don't. I I'm very I'm very skeptical um, that this is going to come to fruition. Uh, I I mean, if anyone I mean, if anyone's listening from Deep Root and they want to have a conversation about it, I'm always open to allow you know yeah. hosting something on that. I mean, you brought up how long ago it had been, or someone else had actually how long ago it had been since we had done that Deep Root interview. Um. But I mean, if they've got, I mean, there's legal stuff going on. I just don't think they'll be in a position to really tell us anything that wasn't in Robert's update. So, right. And I don't think there will be anything that they'll say. I think they'll keep quiet no matter what happens. I just, uh, based off of all of this, just objectively speaking, I have zero confidence that Raza will come out or they will ever release any game. I just don't, I just don't see the, they have not outlined a path to manufacturing. Well, and we've been talking about that for well, yes, years, and now. that's been and that's been the thing, and the thing that started to, to I think show up, you know, going back to the you know when the deep six were allowed to start speaking and things like that, even was it's like they have all the design pieces in place and never went in and and put together any manufacturing, and I've often wondered if the strategy was ultimately that Deep Root Pinball was going to patent a bunch of tech. And then license that out to other companies to do. And that things like Raza were sort of proof of concept. Like they're going to build a few just to show that the, like the pin bar is a good idea and things like that. And the, and the wraparound translate looks cool. And, but that they didn't really want to be pinball manufacturers. This, they were going to do a few games, but then why you bring on like five designers? Right. I mean, here we are, you know, earlier I'm, I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm pulling out my, my loop. And I'm I'm zooming in trying to go. So why did JJP hire a third designer? I'm not even talking about the fact that Deep Root at one point had Dennis Nordman, John Norris, John Papaduke, Barry Ausler, and Robert Mueller all being credited for doing design work on their own games. I was just like, 
That's a lot of des- that's a lot of designers. I mean, Stern doesn't have this many, right? But there's also no games, and that's the and again. It's like it looks like you put in, and people on the on that pin site thread have been pulling up. Like I think again, I think it's Blueberry Johnson who's been pulling them up. But like the records of the PPP loans for all oh, the staff that yeah. they they've been paying for, and again, so it's like to me, it's like they onboarded all of this creative talent. But nothing has ever been shown. Like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of a manufacturing space, a line that and it's always been super. Remember the Octo uh, or Quad manufacturing, and then it was Octo. It's always been super vague how they were going to be built, and it just my sense. My sense has been because Robert has never shown us anything about them putting together manufacturing capabilities. I don't have a good sense that there has that there is any, like that they've never. Obviously, they've put together some games, but anyone you can, any team of people can build a pinball machine. People do it in their garage all the time. Right. It's not building one that's hard. It's building lots. Yeah, and so again, I've wondered. You know, they wouldn't have to be manufacturers if they were going to contract the manufacturing out, but obviously that hasn't happened because. That would have been an easy update. Yeah, we've gone and we're working with American Pinball to as a contract. They're going to be our contract manufacturer. Yeah. We just do design. They could have done that, but they and and promoted it and announced it, and people would get that. But they've never done that, so I don't think they've considered doing it. Or if they've considered it, they never pulled the trigger. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that when most people think pinball, it's on an all in house thing. You design the machines, you build the machines. But the thing is, is like you said, manufacturing is a different animal. Than design, yeah. I, I mean, I would not have held it, you know, personally. Well, in a lot of ways, because I don't have money in, I don't really care. But, but I would have been as a consumer, as a hobbyist, totally on board with Deep Root going. You know what? We've decided that the designing and development of these pinball concepts is our strength. We don't want to get into the manufacturing with COVID and everything else, getting the parts and all that. It's just a huge headache. It's like trying to build the line and make sure we have all the supplies at the same time. We're just going to say, screw it. We're going to ask Spooky, which probably would say no, but we'll ask American Pinball, which has been promoting that they want to do that sort of work, contract right. manufacturing, and just and outsource it. Because the only group that I know of that ever did that was Dutch. And yes, Dutch had a terrible experience. I half suspect Dutch's own fault, though. Right. I mean, they, again, I know people who say, no, they got, like, they got screwed over by the, by the contract manufacturer. I never saw their contracts. All I know is that the court said Dutch pinball was wrong. Right. So the courts are against you. So I know everyone who's friends with the owners of Dutch have been all like, no, 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 no. The judge was wrong. Whatever. Whatever. I'm sure you're an expert. So. Everybody who's been ruled against by a judge thinks the judge is wrong. My favorite, no, no, I totally didn't kill that guy. My the favorite judge thing, just picked wrong. My favorite thing, and I've actually had this professionally happen multiple times, is I have had someone, I've had two different people tell me that a judge ruled, and they've and the two different people have identified different parties in terms of who won. It's like. Oh yeah, the judge ruled. You know, the judge did, did, did the judge sided with this person or sided with that, and I'm like. That doesn't work that way. Maybe the judge 
like gave someone some of something. Is that what happened? It's like, I need to see the case so I can just read it myself because that's not how it works. And most of the times, yes, it's been when I've been able to find out, it's usually been like a, a legal ruling sort of interpretation thing where it's it's like, yeah, they said that this person owes money and then they might go, okay, so yeah. So the person who needs to get money won. Yeah, but they're only getting 10% of what they asked for. So then I was like, no, they, the, the other guy won because he only has to pay 10%, not 100% of what the claim was. So, yeah, so I get it. But it's like, it's like, no, it's somewhat, you, they both lost too. It's yeah. sort of the idea. It's like, uh, it, it's a compromise, basically, except they didn't agree to it. It just happened. <sighs> Tony, video games. Yes. We can move to that now. And I'm sure there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. no drama. There's no, there, yeah, definitely nothing has ever happened. I'm going to be honest with you. This video game segment, just like last week, is nothing but the Blizzard mess. <sighs> well, but it's news, and that's what we cover. It's news, and it's just so much. So much has happened in the two weeks. Two weeks. It's been uh, a while since I've done my uh, total yeah. recall. Yeah. In the two weeks... Since this happened, um, well, Bobby Kotek put out a statement. Bobby. Uh, and followed his statement up with a discussion in a call to investors the other day for the second quarter earnings report. Uh, a group of employees staged a walkout uh, with a list of demands. Uh, Jay Allen Brack, the president of Blizzard, stepped down and has been replaced by uh, Jen O'Neill and Mike Yabara. They're going to co-lead the president. They're going to be co-president. I've heard of Mike Yabara before. I don't know Jen. Yeah. They're uh, uh, Mike's fairly recent. He, he was an old Microsoft guy, as I recall, hmm. and he's a recent addition like last year or the year before. Um, and Jen, if I remember right, was head of one of the studios that Activision Blizzard bought out a while back. Uh, Blizzard's head of HR uh, left the company. Uh, uh, Fran Townsend, who we <laughs> talked about. Oh, Fran! Uh, she's the she's the executive that put out the extremely defensive response to the email to the uh, all the staff, uh, and then she decided to follow it up with by retweeting a a anti whistleblower article talking about how. Whistleblowers are destroying, you know, business and how they're so terrible. That came off poorly for some reason. Hmm. And uh, she ended up first closing down and then, I'm sorry, first uh, making private and then totally removing her Twitter account. So she's completely gone off Twitter. She's uh, She has also stepped down. She was the executive sponsor for the... Uh, Activision Blizzard King Women's Network, and uh, she stopped taking any having anything to do with that support group as well after the last round of stuff. And she still works for the company. She's just removing herself from the high visibility position she placed herself in in the company. Mm. Bobby Kotek, in his discussion with uh, the investors. Uh, put out a statement during the call. 
he said, I want to start by making clear to everyone that there is no place in our company where discrimination, harassment, or unequal treatment of any kind will be tolerated. Nowhere. We so appreciate the current and former employees who've come forward, pa- come forward in the past recent days with courage. And I want to reiterate the commitments that we've made to you. Our work environment everywhere we operate will not permit discrimination, harassment, or unequal treatment. We will be the company that sets the example for this in our industry. I would really like to hook him up to a power generator because he's spinning so hard. Spin to win. Spinning so hard. Uh, In his email he put out earlier, he also called the initial response tone deaf, uh, which I believe is an understatement. Um. And Activision Blizzard did pick a third-party auditor to come in and audit their practices and policies. But the employee advocacy group that has that put out that out as one of their demands when they did the stage the walkout has come out saying uh, they don't like the group they picked because the group they picked is well known for being brought in to do the whole fancy show. Oh yeah, everything's good here, and we fix these things, and it's all better type mm. uh, uh, thing. So we'll see how that turns out. Now, this is having a downstream effect, obviously, to all of Blizzard's products. Yes, yes, and I I'm more familiar with this side of it. The uh, Overwatch, especially, is being because it's a Blizzard title. Badly beaten. Uh, I don't actually have it in the notes because I saw it just before I left the house to come over here this morning. Uh, rumors out there now are that Overwatch 2 has been pushed to 22. I uh, Yes, I saw a I'm Reddit sorry. post. Late 22. Oh, I uh, I saw a spe- Granted, it was speculative. I saw a link to a Twitter post. Someone saying his inside his sources that he used for other things regarding Overwatch 2 are such that there are so many delays at this point. He's not sure it will be 2022 at all Yeah, anymore. He, uh, he hopes he's wrong, but based off of what he's hearing, it sounds like there are extensive delays, which is very concerning to the Overwatch League, because I know a lot of people have been speculating that the Overwatch League uh, wants slash needs to have Overwatch 2 as the featured game next year. That yes. it can't be Overwatch 1 again. But I don't even know there'll still be a league. I don't think there will, honestly. I'll be impressed if there is. But if it is, it's going to be a very different format than it is now. Yes. Now, I mean, one of the things is now the league has been bleeding sponsors. And they don't have a whole ton of high-profile sponsors anyway. So uh, last I heard, which was yesterday, I believe only... TeamSpeak and I think Xfinity were those that were still allowing ads to be shown. Yes. And technically, Coke does isn't allowing stuff to be shown, but they haven't fully... Right. L- a pause. L- right. A couple paused. only paused. But State Farm, Kellogg's, and IBM are out. And um, as an interesting tell, though, about the Coke pause, I was watching, and I don't know if you're familiar with the tank player Sato. He used to play for the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Fusion. Sato... When he's on stream, most of the people to drink from water bottles. I'm right. assuming probably water. Sato is like me, and he drinks pop when he plays games. He drinks from two liter bottles of Coke. The label was off his bottle. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was someone had posted a screen grab, 
in in Reddit and it showed him taking a swig. And it was just the clear two layer looked like Coke was in it, but the label had been stripped. And so and I don't think he was displaying the label for Coke's sponsorship purposes, but I'm betting they told him remove it because yeah. Coke has paused and we do not want to we do not want to lose them. Yeah. That's what they, they need to have that. Other, others have speculated that because it's affecting his livelihood, he may have switched to RC Cola as a protest. <laughs> but, but we don't know. We don't know. If he had, he should have left the label on. Yeah, yeah, it's actually just Sam's choice. <laughs> Sam's, choice. <laughs> Sam's Cola. But uh, I mean, this is I, we've talked about uh, before, and there's a whole thing about the viability of the Overwatch League. So much of it is isn't playing out like how they envisioned, and some of that has to do with just things that they got wrong. Right. And some of it has to do with the pandemic. And now some of this is going to be, well, what income do they have? Like I'm hearing like Reddit is exploding with all sorts of discussions on this with like, Oh, well I, I think overwatch league will be a thing next year because these teams cost millions of dollars to form those investors who own those team. Those owners are not going to allow it just to go away, but I don't think they're, that blizzard can have a desk. I don't think we'll be able to have any of that commentary in the way like the ana- analysts and stuff like that like blizzard won't be able to afford that stuff maybe the owners could keep their teams based off of selling swag and stuff but who's going to organize it right uh, what, well and or, investors will take the money and run they will yeah. walk away yeah the thing the thing is whether or not are the investors still dropping more money in or not I, it's not like what a lot of like let's say like for example a few months ago i bought some penny stocks and they're all down right now with the market changes. Right. You know, I mean, they're down like 10% total. So whatever I, I, if they do what they do. Chances are they won't become all become zero though. is the thing. But it's like, if I wanted out of one of them, I could sell it to someone else. No one will buy the NYXL. No one will buy the Houston outlaws because everyone's concerned that there won't be a league. Right now. And I think part of you, comes as a lot of these teams while they are owned by various groups a lot of them are owned by esports groups who play multiple esports and if one of them starts hemorrhaging enough money they'll cut it off right just to protect the rest of their brand and to protect mm-hmm. everything else right and the cost factor for those that aren't familiar because the Overwatch League was set up like a professional sports league it has things in in place that do not exist in a lot of other esports. For example, everyone on the roster of all these teams has a minimum guaranteed salary of $50,000 a year. Right. And they are required to have at least a group of six players because that's how many you need to field. They're allowed to have as many as 12. So, and a lot of those players who were really good get more in their personal contracts than the 50. So... Again, it's like it's a big mess. Uh, a lot of livelihoods are on the line with this one. Yeah, because I mean, just I mean, that's it. They wanted it to be professional, and th- so these players are making money just at this one game. See, because a lot of the other leagues or leagues or groups and esports events, most of the money comes from uh, payouts. Mm-hmm. Right, for right. Wins. You, you, you got to win, payouts. and that's how it was in Apex when, before this. And again. Now, that's the one thing. Yes. Competitive Overwatch. Sure, that will still exist. I, if the league goes away, I would not be surprised if an Apex style thing crops back up, right. especially once Overwatch 2 drops. But 
I mean, that's what happened with what uh, Heroes of the Storm or whatever. When Blizzard ended their right, there's a there is an outside league of that stuff going on. People play that for money still. This yeah, is not it's organized just not by directly them. organized right. by right. Blizzard, and they're and that used to be how all esports were. So, but this is just a because as long as Overwatch League exists, there's really no oxygen in the room for any of the other startups. In fact. There have been a lot of criticisms about like how contenders is and you can't really make a living doing contenders and that's supposed to be like a farm league. So right. it's, it's like, what are you, are you, sir, am I supposed to have a day job and then I play contenders by night? That's like well, collegiate. It, yeah, but that's also how, at least back in the day, farm leagues actually were. You'd see the farm leagues where it'd be guys who had normal day jobs. And then at night or on weekends, they'd go play some baseball and then they'd go back and then they'd be back to their normal day job because that's what they had to do to make. Yeah. The bills. be. The issue is with the way these, you know, the game mechanics and the maps and stuff are, it's like you have to, you don't just get in two hours of like you have to train yourself up to be top tier. Yeah. And then you have to keep doing it to maintain that. It's, it's just a mess. Anyway. uh, Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen with with all of this. I mean, I said whatever happens, it will not be in this format, let alone the format we have. Well, and this format we've been doing isn't what it was supposed to be. Not at all. All these people who bought these, I mean, these teams cost millions of dollars to buy. I forget what the buy-in was. 10 somewhere between like thir- 10 to 30 million, I don't remember the Yeah, amount. it was lower the the first group was much lower and the second group was and like so twice as much these people these owners who bought these teams at the time they expected to have local events stadiums full of fans buying swag paying ticket prices coming in that was what was promised and early on it was all that format it was really cool to watch they yes. did it all out of uh, of la but then it was supposed to be Amongst all, amongst all of our, like you could go to New York City and watch a game. You go to Dallas and watch a game. And then COVID meant they couldn't do it. And then this year it's been virtual again. And for me, I, well, I'll, I'll still watch games, but not like I did. I it's don't just, watch it like I did. It's just, it's just not the same. It's the, a background. The only thing. live events anymore. I remember I had one on once and I thought, do they add it in a cheer track? I, I forgot it was one of the, it was one of the Hawaii events. The tournament had started and there were fans. I was like, because I was like, people are cheering. It sounds hype. What's going on? Oh my God. I forgot what it was like when there were fans and they bring signs and they it go and great. cosplay. Yeah. And just watching, I mean, one of the fun things during the, the breaks when the analysts were talking to watch what goofy signs people would, would write up, like, let Torbjorn fly. <laughs> yeah. No, that type of thing was the stuff that I thought made the league interesting man mm. plus i mean you know we're talking overwatch because it's it's a game we play but oh my god world of warcraft is just like oh, collapsing at the se- worse than anything it's like i actually read today apparently one like founded in 2010 major fan site is like well we'll keep up the old stuff but i'm done this yeah. they don't care anymore. and there's a, a youtube group that also said no we're done with wild WoW. wow's all they've done for like a decade and, and, and they're just, Asmund and, Gold's been making bank, huge bank off of his foray into Final Fantasy XIV. And in a discussion the other day, he flat out said that 
World of Warcraft is way more toxic than than Final Fantasy. IV. And I saw in a in a write up that there were I guess three newer MMOs. I hadn't heard of any of them, and they didn't list Final Fantasy fourteen. And it said these other here are three other like MMOs that a lot of people are going to, and they love them. Yeah, and Warcraft like that, and the whole thing is like the developers just don't care. Yeah, they just put out things, and they don't really have. It's it, like it's this game like isn't fun. And they're not changing anything, and they've given no confidence that they're going. And of course, as we've learned through all of this stuff, it's like the world of Warcraft team was the most toxic element of the Blizzard yes. scandal. Overwatch group, actually, I had read was the was seen as a good a good space, but well, it still has issues. It like does the fact that, and I wonder that, if Papa Jeff left because of that. It, it, Maybe it he couldn't be. get the change because Papa Jeff was the savior. Because, I mean, I've seen the calls out there to change McCree's name because he's named after one of the people who turns out to have been a pretty toxic person. Mm-hmm. Though the thing is, I think I read a piece. Uh, the the guy he's named for is a World of Warcraft guy. Ah, because I know he was part of the, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, who was the big World of Warcraft guy who was like literally mm-hmm. straight named in the suit. And. Yeah, it's, it's about you know uh, they they put in their Easter eggs of their developers and stuff all over. I, uh, it, it's anyway. it's yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I'm not going to go so you know dramatic to say does Blizzard survive? I mean, it's Activision. Of it's course, gotta, they this is one tentacle in the in yeah. the you know octopus that is Activision, yeah. the largest what the largest I believe they have the largest video game producer in the world they i think aren't they bigger than take two and ea i think tencent's the bigger biggest. oh i forgot freaking mobile fake games yeah tencent well they own pretty much every even non-mobile stuff they own a no, lot of i have stuff. a brand of them as fake games but uh i mean and that that's the thing is they'll survive in here all of this their stocks are down eight percent which is puts them up still three percent from last year. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're even doing worse than they did last year. Uh, so it's one of those things where they will survive. It's just what shape will they be in, and how will the current teams and the games they've got going now make out? Now, if World of Warcraft completely collapses, they're going to have an issue. Uh, it's not going to destroy them but they're definitely going to take some losses i have pulled up a chart from statista which has market capitalization of the largest gaming companies worldwide as of june 2021 okay and they are in order activision blizzards number one with a which which line is what they've got multiple bars here um let me see what the graph says ah okay some of them were past years all right uh 75.22 uh, billion U.S. dollars worth of market capitalization. Nintendo is just behind them with seventy-four point seven one billion, so a billion di- less than a di- billion difference. Roblox, I see where I made my mistake. Is number three. Which you're doing developers I, and, and ten cents a publisher. Ah, uh, well, I did say publisher originally. So, and then uh, for the rest of the developers, EA. Then Take Two, then Ubisoft, then Square, and then CD Projekt. Wow, CD Projekt made the list. Of course, it falls off really fast after EA. Yeah, you're on the you're on 21. And, yeah, yeah, June of 21. And I'm looking at fiscal year 19 to 20 uh, for publishers. Goes Sony, Tencent, 
Nintendo, Microsoft, NetEase, Activision, Blizzard, EA, Take-Two, Bandai, and okay. Square. All right, so Sony's the biggest on the phone. I guess that kind of makes sense. Though Tencent's not too far behind them. No, looks like they're Couple. two billion. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, I'm sure everyone loves to know that. So they're big, they're big ins, and Activision's going to be just fine. But uh, it's just for those of us, and you know, this probably predates some of it too. Uh, but it's like it's just it's so frustrating because Blizzard was one of those like companies that was put on a pedestal by. I mean, I really liked Blizzard as a company. It's I like did it was too. one of those that were just up there. And then Activision took it over and everyone's like, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And now this stuff on top of that, it's just, it's sad to see. It's one of those things that started, pardon me, to, uh, everybody felt, at least it feel, it seems to me that everybody felt like when the Activision buyout started, it's when Blizzard started to slip. But from the sounds of this, there were issues yeah, inside no, of the Blizzard's harassment stuff. Sounds like before it's long, that. Run, long running. This sounds like a large, which brings into question all of those big developers and the big names and the original Blizzard people who were bandied about as being, you know, some of the greats. And as more and more of them left, we're like, oh, Blizzard's dead. It's not what it used to be. But now I wonder is uh, when they left, was it because there was people starting to talk out against the stuff that was coming up? Or was it something that was more natural occur- naturally occurring? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. If we. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll know or not. I guess it'll depend if more stories come out. But we'll see if uh, if Activision will finally write the ship and get this solved. But it's not going to be easy. Because let's see, they were purchased by Vivendi in '95. Yeah, I, I barely remember pre-Vivendi Blizzard. I yeah, I I don't remember pre-Vivendi Blizzard at all. I mean, I might have played some of their games back then. Uh, but I don't remember there. And then in 08 is when they merged with Activision. So, yeah, I I don't know. We will see where things go. Oh man, Bobby Kotick was in back then. He's been there forever. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's been long running. He makes some of the money. Well, I think we've done enough to make our money for the two-week period. So There's money? Well, no. Okay. That's why we've done enough, because, <laughs> because it's, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, though, again, if you want to reach out to the show, you can email us at eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We're available on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And you're not really going to see anything there in any of those because I haven't been streaming in like two years now. And My rig's disassembled. Your rig's disassembled for watch videos. It was, yep. Sad. So sad. Oh, wow. I actually have reinstalled OBS. Mm. I've not set it up, ah. but I did reinstall OBS. I still have it installed. I'm uh, just not using it. I just, all I play is Final Fantasy. And mm-hmm. Yeah. 
nobody wants to watch me craft because that's what I do. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll plan to be back in a couple weeks. Maybe we'll have a few more uh, developer updates on the Blizzard front, or maybe I doubt the Deep Root front, but possibly. We'll see. I doubt it, but we'll see. And we should have some news. I might actually go find stuff, but this time it just... Every day, every day, something new popped up to add to the notes. Mm. I've got, I've, I just have a, uh, a, a series of tabs op- that I, I open a tab, open a tab, open a tab and put and throw together notes, uh, or article or save articles in a, in a folder for me to go through and pull notes out of later. And every, that's all it was. This was Blizzard. And it's like, I don't have the energy to go look for good, good news anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll have some next time. So until then, I'm Dennis. I'm Tony. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.